Welcome to Addiction Nonfiction, hosted by family recovery advocate and writer Annie Highwater. This is a podcast of real conversations and true stories from people who have been affected by or active in addiction. Each episode will tell real, raw, sometimes unbelievable stories, opening up the lives of various guests. The goal is to take a deep look into topics related to addiction, alcoholism, family dysfunction, codependency, and other various types of madness, the real-life stuff we all experience. You can reach Annie by emailing annieunhooked at gmail.com. And now, enjoy the show. Okay, welcome back, everyone. I have a very special guest on this week's podcast. I just want to lead in by saying that it's really no secret that Ohio communities, really nationally, but I feel it most at home, that Ohio communities are in a crisis of addiction, overdose, mental health, and suicide. We have people in our local communities jumping off parking garages, and that, you know, passed by in the news a couple of weeks ago, and I just can't seem to get a grip around how much things seem to kind of be increasing. There's daily coverage about opioids, addiction, and overdose numbers. Nationally and locally, we are definitely in crisis. We all see the coroner's reports in the news when there have been an increase in overdose numbers. And so due to that, today's conversation is with Dr. Anahi Ortiz, the Franklin County Coroner in Columbus, Ohio. She was born in New York and attended medical school there, focusing on pediatrics for her residency in Manhattan. After residency, Dr. Ortiz focused on providing care for the underserved communities of New York City and moved to Columbus in 1996. Dr. Ortiz became our coroner in 2014. One thing I found interesting is that for years, the death rate was actually statistically declining until overdoses began to increase. So that said, I have invited Dr. Ortiz on the podcast to get her take on the opioid epidemic and as our county coroner, specific to Ohio and Franklin County. But I also wanted to invite her on to get her take as a member of our community and as a mother. So with that said, I want to welcome you, Dr. Ortiz, and thank you so much for giving us your time. Thank you, Annie. Thank you so much. And uh, it's an honor to be on your podcast. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Oh, thank you. Um, first, tell us how you ended up in Columbus and in Franklin County. So I am a native New Yorker, New York uh, Cityite, uh, born and bred, went to med school there. Um, but um, I moved out west um, when I got married and had children. Um, and then unfortunately I uh, uh, was divorced. And so um, I looked around to come back towards the east um, for, a, um, for employment, a job. And Nationwide Children's Hospital, which at the time was Children's Hospital, uh, was looking for um, primary care physician, uh, pediatrician. And I answered their ad, and they interviewed me, and here I came in 1996. And then what ultimately led to your role as the, the coroner? I believe that's an elected, for those of us who are laymen, that's an elected official. Is that correct? Correct. So in Ohio, um, the coroners all must be physicians in good standing, um, and they are elected, except for a couple of counties um, uh, Cuyahoga and perhaps Summit. I'm not sure of the second one, but um, those are those are appointed. The rest of the counties, they're they're all elected uh, officials, and they all must be physicians. Oh, okay. So, what led you to the role? 
So um, I actually um, met the previous coroner uh, when she was coroner here, and she was on her way out for another position before her term was up. And so she put my name into the hat for consideration. Um, there was a, a list of docs they had, and um, I went through the interview process, which included um, extensive background check. Um, and I was chosen, uh, I believe it was based on uh, the feeling that they wanted, the, the people who were interviewing me wanted someone who would connect this office to the community uh, oh. more, more than it, it had been before. Yeah, and I, I know that, that you work closely, I believe, with the Sheriff's Department as well? Yes, uh, Sheriff's Department, funeral homes, um, we work with um, uh, the recovery organization um, and also um, uh, Franklin County Loss, which is a um, group of families and um, friends who have lost uh, persons to suicide. Okay, right. Yeah, I'd heard, I'd, there was just even a recent news article that was a rally held around depression and suicide. It's definitely a major topic here and one that's dear to my heart personally. Um, so I wanted to just ask you because everyone's hearing horror stories and some of us have even lived them. As our coroner, what are you seeing as it relates to addiction and the epidemic? Um, we've definitely seen an uptick um, here more rapidly since 2014. I believe it all started around 2012, though, um, but more rapidly in 2014. Um, last year, we saw perhaps the highest number so far, 520 people lost their lives to overdose deaths here in Franklin County. This year, uh, we started out at a decrease, uh, about a 13% the first quarter. Um, I am due to send out the first half of 2018 um, numbers soon, but I can tell you that at this point it's about it, a 9% decrease So from last year, um, and I believe overall this summer, July, Towards the end of July, August, and September, we've, we've had a huge increase in overdose deaths here. So I'm not sure that we'll end up 2018 as a decrease. Do you I hope we, we, we will, but I'm not sure that we will. Yeah. Um, are you finding that, that there seems to be an increase in certain months or on even certain days of the week? It's it's been this year. It's been more sporadic, um, not necessarily continuous throughout the week. So yeah, you'll have you know Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and and you'll have an increased number in certain amounts of um, days. There hasn't really been a correlation, you know, as to whether they're all Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays. So I, I can't say, but they've been sporadic. They haven't been continuous. And Franklin County, it's pretty, it's covered a lot of area and some is, has poverty and, you know, behavior that goes on. And then some is, you know, wealthy, you know, upper middle class. 
is there specific hot spots or is it condensed to certain areas? Because people sometimes, you know, stigma still exists and people tend to just want to condense it down to a, a certain area or a type of people. Is it spread out through Franklin County? Is that, are you seeing that? Yeah, we we see, you know, when you look at the zip codes, they're all over Franklin County, really. I mean, we have seen um, central, you know, Columbus, the areas of Columbus most impacted are the south side and the west side, and now we're seeing more on the east side. But we have had deaths in Grove City, we've had deaths in Hilliard, we have had deaths in New Albany, in Upper Arlington, in Westerville, uh, Dublin, Blacklick, um, so Reynoldsburg, I mean, they're all over. Um, you know, the majority tend to be concentrated around a certain um, area, uh, but there we have seen them in, in almost all the townships, really. Yeah. Someone had told me once that some of those more, you know, quote, privileged areas have more access to Narcan. Is that, you know, does that affect the numbers or is that even true? Yeah, I I can't comment on that. I'm not sure whether they do or don't have more access to Narcan. Anyone really can get Narcan. You can go into a pharmacy and get it without a prescription. So um, most of the bigger pharmacies like Walgreens, CVS, and the uh, supermarket ones, they will have Narcan without prescriptions. Now, you know, you have to pay for it. Um, It's not cheap. But uh, if you do have a prescription from a doc, and it shouldn't be very difficult to get one of those, uh, you can get get the Narcan using uh, your insurance. And then Franklin County does do Narcan training and hand out. The Project Dawn yeah. uh, site will, will hand out Narcan for free um, in a certain time. You know, they have dates that they go out and do that. So, um you know, it's pretty accessible. I think um, maybe, you know, perhaps some folks don't know. So when I do send out the alerts, I always put something about Narcan in there and where to go or where to look for the Narcan. What prompts you to send the alerts? Is there a certain number or just you've seen an increase within a certain week? So usually it's if we see more than five people dying of an overdose uh, within a 24-hour period, I'll send out an alert. Or if we have, um, you know, a, a huge amount within a certain period of time, I think we had like 13, 13 over, was it nine days, something like that. I don't remember that alert was not too long ago. Um, so I, I will send out those alerts so that the public Basically, so family and friends of those who suffer from addiction uh, can um, get Narcan and be armed in case, um, you know, their their family member has an overdose. Um, so basically, that's why I send out those um, those alerts. Uh, we recently also sent out a flyer that I posted all over so social media tried to get that out and that was really for people who use so that they understand we are seeing more and more fentanyl mixed in to some of the drugs so um, I'm hearing from folks that people don't want to use heroin anymore because of the 
increased deaths or opiates. And so they're using cocaine again and methamphetamine. However, those have been cut now with fentanyl. Some people may know, some people may not know that they have fentanyl in their cocaine or methamphetamine. And fentanyl can kill. So we sent out this flyer um, giving information for people who use that fentanyl maybe in the cocaine and maybe in the methamphetamine and, you know, what, what to look for, blah, blah, blah. Is it the first time that somebody takes fentanyl that it can kill them or is it, um, because I, I get very confused about that. You'll see the posts that say that just this amount of heroin kills you and then there's like four grains of fentanyl can kill somebody. So I'm not, I don't, is it the first time you come in contact with it, it can prompt an overdose? Not necessarily. Um, if if someone's been on opiates for a long, long time, and so they have some, um, they are used to you know certain high doses already. Um, fentanyl may not, you know, may not kill them. Uh, they may overdose, or they may have a longer high, etc. But it, it may not kill them. You you really can't tell. Um, and again, it's how much is in there. Uh, if someone comes out of jail or prison and they've been um, without any substances, they're naive, what we call naive, um, drug naive, um, when they come out and then they start taking their usual dose and fentanyl is in there, they're more likely to overdose and possibly die. Um, so it really depends on the individual and what they've been taking and the doses that they've been on. There are certain drugs, however, that it's almost an automatic, yeah, you're going to die if you take this, like um, uh, carfentanil. We're not seeing a lot of carfentanil this year. Not at all. Not like last year. It's, and there's ways to, there's test strips that I think you can get from certain firehouses that show fentanyl. And is, does it show carfentanil as well? Mm, just fentanyl. Yeah, um, and so you you're can't correct. test for that if you're a user, and it's it's wise to, I believe. Test for fentanyl. Yes. Yes. Right. So if you can, if if you use and you can, you know, um, get the fentanyl strips, I, that would be wise. And also to never use alone, and um, make sure that you have Narcan. That whoever is with you has Narcan. And you, family members as well, they should definitely be armed with it, even if they think it's not possible or they disapprove of the use. It's just, I believe everyone should have it. Yes. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing how many people have just, um, so I had a friend, I was having coffee with a friend at one of the coffee houses down from Roosevelt Cafe, whatever. Um, and she was telling me how scared she was. She was there the week before and someone overdosed right in the cafe. Um, so it, you know, it happens all over the place. I was, uh, there were a couple of reporters that came to interview me a couple of weeks ago. And they said as they were coming here, they were leaving their station, um, two people in a car overdosed in the car and crashed um, in front of their building. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I, hour before they came to see me. I, so it's, it's really, it's really widespread. Um, yeah. And that's cruel irony, but yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I've walked into, I walked into a supermarket and saw 
uh, paramedics administering Narcan in a, it was at a Grove City location. So, I mean, you don't know when you're going to walk up upon it. I know it can happen, in, you know, it happens in libraries or anywhere. I think it's wise to have it, to have Narcan, that is. Exactly. Um, I read that you instituted the Drug Overdose Initiative in Columbus in 2015. Can you tell us what that is and what that does? Uh, so that was, um, that is a uh, mortality review of overdose deaths. Um, we were meeting once a month on um, uh, overdose deaths. So we would take certain cases of folks who had died of overdoses and, and kind of tease them apart and get all the information from the different organizations that were attending, like law enforcement and some of the uh, treatment centers, et cetera, to kind of uh, figure out um, when did this person start? Are there any um, correlations, you know, are there commonalities um, between the people? Um, and, and to, you know, just to see what areas should we be looking at, et cetera. Um, right now, we're doing it quarterly. It just isn't possible to do it um, as frequent as monthly. And it's been kind of hard getting everyone together. So it's, it's more on a quarterly basis now. And then just trying to become familiar with some of the terminology for people who are maybe unaware. Um, can you tell us what HIDA is and maybe what the hotspot maps is about? <laughs> These are terms that I'm okay. just now becoming familiar so, with, but I've heard in different lectures. HIDA is High Intensity Drug Trafficking, I think it's agency. Um, and it's exactly what the name says. And they have they have put together really a, a, a great um, tool where uh, law enforcement and we're the first, it's a national tool and we're the first coroner's office nationally to uh, be a part of this. And law enforcement, EMS, put in their data when they get to an overdose or an overdose death. And then we do the same. And then when we get more information, for example, uh, uh, what they exact, you know, the toxicology results, we'll add that in there and the cause and manner of death. When we get those results, we'll add it in there later on. Um, and so what you end up with is uh, this hotspot map where you can see Dot-wise, you know, you can um, pull up a map of Franklin County for such and such hours or days, um, a, a time um, range, and you can pull up this map for that time range, and you'll see the dots, and the, each dot is a, um, maybe a, a different color depending on if it was an overdose or an overdose death, uh, was Narcan used, was Narcan not used, etc. And... Um, much of that data is is rich in terms of you know how old the person was, if they have any information on their employment, if they have any information on you know anything um, related to that person, and specific locations. So it's it's uh, pretty much a rich data, a, a rich robust system. Well, it can be, it depends on how many users you have. So they've been trying to bring more and more users of this. Uh, hot spotting map 
into Franklin County. So we use it consistently and some of law enforcement uses it, not all law enforcement and the same thing with EMS. Um, not all EMS uses it. So they're trying to get more and more of them on board. I think it's interesting that you said we're the first county nationally to use it. Um, I had met with someone from the attorney general's office a couple of weeks ago, and she was saying how Ohio is progressive and a couple of years ahead of, of other states when it comes to this epidemic and that she will have people call her from California and Florida and say, okay, what is Ohio doing pertaining to this or that? Because I don't know if it's because a lot of the epidemic spawned from here or we just have great teams here, but it seems that Ohio is very progressive. Um, yeah, we're trying more and more um, to, to get more um, different ways of looking at the, at the issue, really, and different ways of approaching it. So uh, I, I think the AG's office has done a really good job in, in that area, actually. So. Um. As much as we hear about overdoses, are, are there, do you think it's as common to have alcohol-related deaths and suicide? Do you think those are kind of in the running numbers-wise? We're seeing more and more alcohol this year. Oh, for sure. Um, mixed in with, with the drugs. Um, so I've been signing a lot of death certificates that have alcohol in it. Um, it's astounding this year how much is is mixed in with um, the cocaine and the fentanyl, et cetera. Um, and uh, not so much with the suicides. Suicides tend to be, the majority of suicides tend to be firearms related uh, as opposed to chemical overdose. Um, but in terms of the overdoses, we are seeing more alcohol and we're seeing more people dying of actually chronic alcohol abuse. And that would be um, ethanol poison. Is it is it considered an alcohol death if it's maybe a vehicle accident? No, if it's a vehicle accident, it's blunt force. It's usually blunt force trauma, um, but there is toxicology done, and and that is looked at in terms of how many um, the Ohio accidents. AIS accident incident. I forget what S stands for system. Um, they are the ones that look at this and then eventually keep the data on how many of those had positive talks for cannabinoids, for opiates, for whatever it is um, that they're taking. Um, people, the families wanted to know, how do you separate the work from being a, quote, regular person, especially, you know, being a mom and your kids are, I think, around the age of my son, and this epidemic is strongly affecting that generation. Is it hard to separate the two? Uh, yes, I, I have to say, um, you know, it, it just, uh, you warn them. <laughs> 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 you know, I talk to them and, you know, warn them, um, just talk to them about what's going on. And you just, you just never know. You just never know. You know, every, we all want to think our kids are great kids and most of them are really great kids, but you don't know what their peers are like, or you don't know who they're going to hang out that day and, you know, what they're going to do. And it could just be a one-time thing that they want to 
experiment with and that could be it, you know? So, yeah, yeah it's, it's really, it's tough, but I, you know, I always, I always keep an eye on them, even though they're adults, they're in their twenties. Um, my daughter's 31. Um, so, um, but it's interesting. I recently went to a conference and they talked about, uh, physician, physician burnout and, you know, how to handle it. And, um, I, I realized I do, I do try and use some of, you know, what they suggested, which is, um, really talking about it, uh, getting a support system and talking about, you know, what you do, or what you see and, um, meditation. I, yeah. I end up, I end, I end up doing that. That has been, you know, pretty much a, a calmer for me. Um, the other is just making sure you, you know, you get your basic needs met, like making sure you're eating and you know, sleeping. And then mine is, you know, I take vacation. I will, you know, some people will, will, uh, just, um, not vacation. Um, but I, I need it, you know, I need that, just that break. So I will use my vacation um, to get that break. Yeah. Is it hard to see people come through that are maybe the age or some any in any way similar to one of your kids? How do you separate that? Oh gosh, yes. Um It's it's tough. It's tough, but it also spurs you on, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's it's tough, but then you know, you think in your head this could have been my child and I don't want it to be anyone else's child again kind of thing. So let's continue to work on this. So it, it, it becomes, it, it creates more momentum sometimes to, you know, to continue working instead of saying, I'm tired of this, you know, I, yeah. you know, what nothing's happening. Or, so, yeah. um, do you think we have hope? that the overdose numbers are going to take a turn or that we're going to get in front of this epidemic and it'll decline? I think eventually we will. I, there was a recent study in Science Magazine. It was a, a really interesting study. I know people may not think it's as interesting. I'm a physician, but um, it came out in September. And, and these uh, researchers, what they did was they looked at overdose deaths, all overdose deaths, starting in 1979 and going all the way up to, I think it was either 2016 or 2017. And then they... they uh, calculated the rates. So they use the rates as a kind of stabilizers, you know, because different years have different populations. So you can't compare them together unless you're using a rate. So they did rates for each year and then they plotted those on a graph and it was astounding. It was an actual graph and the graph went up. It went from really, really low um, on a curve straight up where we are today and what they were predicting is that we are um, in the United States we are on target to continue this trend for a few more years until we start seeing a decrease and they postulate the the researchers the two two big researchers were positing or postulating that um, the reasons why we have seen such a sharp increase in the last two, five, 
10 years maybe from before uh, was, and this was so interesting, was um, the improvements in um, communication for the for the folks who sell the drugs. Wow, for the that's folks weird. Who are importing the drugs. Social, think about it. Social media is being used. Um, smartphones is, are being used. Um, just the fact that automobiles and transportation are a lot quicker now than they were previously. Um, we have different forms of transportation. My God, uh, airplanes, you know, flights is a lot more of them than, than there were before. Um, everything has improved and the uh, drug business is now using a business model, which is uh, linked to all of that, which wow. is linked to communication and social media and, you know, and, and um, using the mail, um, using internet. All of that has just increased the methods that drugs can be pushed out. Wow, um, I guess I had so a lot of it on that level. <laughs> Yes, yes, I know it was absolutely fascinating and, and scary, right? Um, and other speculation they had for the reason, it, they were calling it a push and a pull. Um, the other area is what's happened the last few years with our socioeconomic areas, you know, the what we call social determinants of health also. Um, but the loss more and more of the middle class system and we're hugely in some areas divided um, communities there are huge di divisions in, in, in economic status and in, in some communities and so therefore there is a general feeling of you know uh, uselessness oh. of you know uh, life is not great, you know, I'm not, it doesn't look like I'm going to get very far, you know, just this whole feeling in the country and certain areas of the country, um, especially rural, rural areas um, where they don't see a point anymore. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Sam Quinones wrote about that in Dreamland, how it was kind of impoverished thinking and broken dreams that fed a lot of the epidemic. Mm-hmm. And I can and honestly say, I'm sorry, go ahead. They're positing that, you know, it's still there. Um, nothing's improved. It's not, it's worse in some areas. Um, so. The feelings of uselessness yes. and purposelessness. You know, I find it interesting. I, I had written about how my son had been injured in football and was prescribed opiates, and then he went through an addiction, and he's now six years out of it. But I ask him a lot of questions. We have pretty open communication, and I would ask him when stressful things would happen, and he's lost a lot of friends from Ohio to L.A. to overdose, and some shocking that we didn't, you know, expect to relapse or didn't realize they were in one. And he's had a lot of grief thrown at him in his young life. And so when the stress would hit him, I would say, what's keeping you from relapsing? You know, I don't want to make it my business to enmesh myself and carry him through his recovery, but I, I wanted to know, what are you doing mm -hmm. to kind of support yourself? And he would say, every time I feel myself even grow complacent, I'll set a goal. 
and I'll head toward a purpose. So he said, I don't know if it, you know, maybe I'll run a 5K or maybe I'm so stressed out that the goal that day is just to stay, you know, sober that day. Or maybe I'm going to go toward adding a class to my caseload. But he said every time he started to sink into that because he knows complacency is going to lead him to another rock bottom, as he calls it. He just began to set goals and put those goals in place and it kind of moved him out of it. I love that idea of purpose. Oh, I love it too. I, that's excellent thinking. Wow, you have a great son there. Uh, excellent, excellent thinking uh, in a way of doing things. And that's exactly, you know, what some people, some people don't see the point, don't have goals. They see they're losing friends and they relapse or um, they don't have the help that they need to have. Maybe they don't have someone to talk to or um, are not going to groups. Um, perhaps their family isn't as involved. So, yeah. It's really honestly about connecting and taking care of each other. I mean, yes. I, we've just kind of come down to that bottom line of it. And that's even how the book Dreamland ends. It's about taking care of each other, looking out for each other, checking up on each other, and not, you know, isolating in your misery. Exactly. That's exactly it. Well, I thank you so much that you were so open and informative and better than expected. And all your work in the community, it matters. Um, I hear about you often from the Addicts Parents United and other families that, you know, you're not just our coroner, you care about our community. And that matters to all of these families and to my family because we've been impacted, you know, by the overdose epidemic that you're working on the front lines of. So I just want to thank you for your time today. Thank you, Annie, and thank you for, for having me here. Brenda Stewart, Addict Parents United, is a, a great person, and I have personally, you know, connected with her when I get families of, you know, people who die here, and, and they've been so helpful um, to these families. So I'm grateful for all of you. Well, thank you so much. And until next time, bye-bye. You have been listening to Addiction Nonfiction. Views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this episode by the guests belong solely to the guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the host or any affiliated organization or institution. You may contact host Annie at annieunhooked at gmail.com. We hope you'll keep coming back to listen to Addiction Nonfiction. Nonfiction.